chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, no uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let us pray. Father Lord, we do pray for Rob as he comes to speak on this um, part of the Bible. We pray that you will use him to show us who you really are and what you have done for us on the cross. We pray for uh, Tom as he goes out with the kids as well, that you may use him to, uh, to speak with the kids. I pray you prepare both our hearts for the, for the receiving of your word, uh, that we may be changed that we may be a new creation for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. The kids are going to go out with Tom, and then Rob is going to come and talk about the same passage. Probably just two minutes. Thanks, George. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, how do we all like the new layout? Is it, is it working for you? Yeah? We don't have the sun in our eyes. Um, we have the sun to our side, so you all look lovely there. So, um, Let me pray again, and then we'll um, get cracking. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Thank you that you have sent your son for us and thank you for humbling us to know our need of him and thank you for uh, the relationships you've given us with one another here and um, in your family we thank you for the love that you've given us for one another pray that what we learn today would flow out from us and not just remain with us we pray in jesus name amen Well, uh, it's quite a good question to start with, isn't it? Um, what do you tend to boast about? Um, what do you tend to find yourself telling other people about? And volunteering in terms of information about yourself. Um, maybe just chat to the person next to you. It doesn't have to be a good answer. It could just be the honest answer. Um, so why don't you just chat to the person next to you. What kind of things do you want them to usually know about you? Or what kind of things do you end up talking to them about? 
Um, so chat to the person next to you. Okay, well, let's come up with our top three. Come on, what are the top three things that we, we like to show people about who we are? Come on, throw some out there. Uh, who, family, yeah, so family is identity, security. We usually talk about our family, yeah? Some things to our family, yeah? Work. Work, oh, great one. So, hi, I'm Rob, I'm a pastor. Hi, I'm George, I'm a uh, trainer. Hi, I'm Sam, I'm a teacher, yeah. What else? Any other ideas? The weather. <laughs> we can't really boast about our weather, but I guess... <laughs> He can, he can, Peter can, okay. Well, we'll he can do some boasting later on. We'll have, we'll have to be quiet because we have got nothing to say. Um, apart from today, which is unusual. But, um, anything else? What other things do we tend to boast about? Things that we like to tell other people? Children, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, of course. Yeah, what they're up to. Yeah. What God has done. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, hopefully. Um, we're in church, so... <laughs> Holidays, what we've been up to, so things we've done, things we can do. Oh, I can do that, um, yeah. Something personal. Something personal, yeah. Huh? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see. So tr- the trump card, I like it, yeah. What about, like, achievements or money? Ooh, yeah, big one, isn't it? Like, um, we don't even have to say anything to boast about our money, do we? We could just show it. Um, people are like, oh yeah, you've got those nice clothes, you've got that new car, that kind of thing. Well, um, what we boast in actually speaks volumes about ourselves, doesn't it? Um, it speaks volumes because it shows what we hope in. So as we are saying to that person, this is, this is the big thing, this is important, we're actually telling them that our confidence is kind of in that thing. Um, so for me, for example, um, I tend to brag about our kids quite a bit. If you're unfortunate enough still to follow me on Facebook or social media, um, that's what you're bombarded with, is photos of the kids, what the kids are up to, what the kids are doing, what the kids are doing. Oh, look, they smiled. Take a photo, put it on Facebook. Um, okay, and, and that shows that something about my confidence, what I think my security is in, is in that thing. Maybe it's in the fact that I think, oh, okay, well, the kids are doing all right. Um, where is your confidence? What do you tend to boast in? Is it sort of ultimately, when you drill it down, in yourself? Because that is like the, the, what's underlying all of the boasts, isn't it? Confidence in ourselves. And, and the job, the relationship, maybe even our, our nationality, our heritage, or an exam result, an achievement, all of those kind of things ultimately show what we're putting our confidence in, where our hope is tied to. Do you see what I mean? That's the thing that's going to come good for me. That's the thing that's going to help me in the future. That's why we boast. So so my my job here today is not to tell you um, that boasting's bad and that you should stop boasting, but to ask you the question, what are you boasting in? And isn't there something better to boast about? We will boast. We will brag. But what is our hope tied to? And what does our boasting, our bragging, show about what our hope is tied to? Is it really tied to ourselves? Because that's pretty shaky, isn't it? That's pretty wobbly. Um, so we're going to spend most of our time, the, the, the cat's out of the bag with the, um, 
uh, with the verse we're going to be looking at mostly, which is verse 14. And it is quite a shocking verse. I want you to get the surprise of the verse. You're in church, you're expecting Paul to say this from the Bible, but it is quite a shocking verse. He says, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross. In the cross. Basically, Paul's saying, far be it for me to boast in anything but a form of Roman execution, a death sentence. Is he mad? Has he lost it? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, in church, we do sing a lot of songs about the cross, and maybe you're here um, and you're surprised yourself that you're in church because you're still sort of not really sure if it's all a load of rubbish, but you're just listening in. And maybe you've had people that you know who are Christians and they're always banging on about this execution, this death sentence. And you sort of find that a bit weird. It is weird. Paul says, my boast is a cross. But not just any cross. The cross of Jesus. So that's the next bit, isn't it? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the cross, specifically, that Jesus died on. That's what Paul is wanting to boast in. He says, don't let me boast, except in the cross that Jesus died on. Except in the death that Jesus died. That's the thing he wants to show that his confidence is is in. The thing that he wants to show that his hope is tied up in. Is that... Well, if you're listening in, and, you, and, and as I said, you find, do find it a bit weird that Christians are always going on about the death of Jesus. They're just always banging on about the cross. They're always singing about the cross. Why are they going on about the cross? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Well, I hope this evening that you will have an answer to that question. That Christians do that, that they go on about the cross, because that is where their confidence lies. That is where their hope is tied for the future is in that event. What happened there is what ties their hope up for the future. And so that's why they talk about it. <laughs> it makes every sense, doesn't it, to talk about that, if that is the thing that they have confidence in and where their hope is tied up. But before, before we get there, Paul has to expose um, some key influences at that time. And it's on these new believers, and we've come across them before in Galatians, so um, it's just a bit of a recap, really. But um, these guys, it may look like their confidence is in God and the Bible, but actually it's really, it's in themselves again. And we're going to see what Paul says about them. Um, So if you want to look down with me at verses 11 to 13. We can see that from verse 11 that Paul has grabbed the pen. Maybe he wasn't actually the one scribing, but now he is. He's grabbed the pen. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. His letters are big. He's finishing with a loud plea. And the loud plea is this. See those pressurizing you for who they really are. So he says this. It is those, in verse 12, who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So there's these people, and they're key influencers, 
and their confidence is really in themselves and they're wanting the Galatians to do something to get this circumcision. Have you ever come across um, something on Instagram or, or on social media? Sorry if you haven't, if you don't have those things. There's something called a humble brag. Has anyone come across that? No? Okay, wow. There's not Usually I'm the one who knows things, you know, about new things. The humble brag is the person who shows you, oh, this is my messy mansion, right? Oh, look how messy my mansion is, right? The point is, it's not how messy it is, it's how big my house is, do you know what I mean? So that's what they call a humble brag, the thing where it's like, I'm being really humble here, I'm telling you something awful about myself, but really it's actually going to show you how cool I am and how good I am. You see what I mean? Um, And I think that's sort of something that we can think of for these guys, because um, we can see from them that Paul says that they want to make a good showing, i.e. they want to look good. That is ultimately what they are doing. They want to look good. Whatever it is they're calling for, however good it sounds, they just want to look good. They want people to pat them on the back and say, well done. Um, And it says they force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Uh, Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what's going on here is they are, it's a not so humble brag. (laughs) Um, They are saying they're wanting to boast in the people who are going to be circumcised. Well, have a think about what this means. These people were influenced and they were wanting to to be approved by the Jewish society. The society at large was saying, oh yeah, Jewish stuff is good. Non-Jewish stuff, that's bad. We're actually quite uncomfortable with the fact that you're even hanging out with these Galatians and so we're going to put pressure on you to fit in with us. And the people, because they were false teachers themselves, they just backtracked. They just said, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do that. And they said, and they forced other people to do the same. Um, And it's all so that they won't be persecuted. That's the bottom line. They do it to save their own skin. They do it because if other people's approval was the main thing, the thing that they were after all along, well, if, if, if I'm going to lose that, if I'm set to lose that, I will change my tune. I'll change my message just so you do like it. Not necessarily because it's true. It's so that you would like it. That's one of the clearest, that bottom one is the clearest way to spot a false teacher. Someone who is using the Bible yet for their own personal gain. Because when crunch time comes, a person doesn't back what they're saying. When people are saying, oh, no, you can't say that, I'm okay. See what I mean? We can, use, we can speak the Bible, we can share the Bible and, and use it, but the person who backs it, even when it means they're going to get beats, that's the person you want to listen to. Not the person who is coward and just ducks all of the bullets and doesn't actually back it themselves. So this is one of the clearest ways to spot a false teacher. And Paul says, I want you to see these people, these key influences, for who they really are, because actually at the base of it, behind it all, is them wanting other people's approval. And that's being exposed. 
They're backtracking and they're calling on the Galatians to do the same. Just so they can parade them out and say, look, we're doing the right thing here. Will you approve of this? The Judaizers um, knew and taught the Bible a lot, but when push came to shove, they were unwilling to suffer for what it actually says. They were unwilling to suffer for what it actually says. And this exposed that the underlying motivation all along was not honouring Jesus or honouring God himself, but themselves. In their time, in their time, it was honouring themselves in the front of the Jewish society. Notice how they shift the pressure from themselves onto other people. So the Galatians are the people who are now on the receiving end of the pressure to, to fit in, to walk the line. They've shifted the pressure and they've said, okay, you guys, the pressure's now on you. And they've added to it, haven't they? Because they are the ones who are also saying you need to be circumcised. It's very cowardly. Um, by the way, if you wanted uh, to understand what is happening in the Church of England at the moment, you can look at Galatians 6, verses 11 to 13. Because bishops are saying, no, no, we're not going to suffer in our culture for what the Bible says about sexual sin, about relationships, about marriage. We're not going to suffer for it. No, we'll let other people suffer for it. So they've written prayers of same-sex blessing to be used in churches, and they want the Christians, the, the churchgoers, to be the ones to pay the price for saying we're not going to do that. And they've shifted the pressure from themselves. As the leaders, they've said, you suffer. We're not going to suffer. You suffer. So they do not want to be persecuted for what the Bible actually says, for who Jesus really is. So it is happening. And Paul says, it's a humble brag. They may be the people that seem to be most influential, but don't buy the influence. Don't just look behind it. They obviously just want people's approval. And that can't be something that honours God. They may talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They're still very much of the flesh, as we've been seeing. Unwillingness to suffer and be rejected for the truth will always reveal which teachers are true and which ones are still of the flesh. It will always reveal that. And Paul, notice, uh, verse um, uh, 17, I think I put 18 on the screen, but it's 17. Paul is not one of those. He is a spirit-filled apostle. And he was beaten, mocked, and scorned. We can read about Paul's sufferings, they're all there in Acts. Here he just says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. So he can point to scars and say, not because he's being macho, but because he's saying, look, these are actually signs of being authentic. These are signs that I I haven't changed the message, even when it cost me. And yet the other people had. They were saying, look, we'll do what's best for us. We'll do what gets the approval of others at the end of the day. And that's toxic. Don't listen to it. I tell you what, if I ever start doing that, hand me my P45, yeah? Show me the door. Because if I ever start doing that, you need to get rid of me. 
because the message mustn't change, the truth does not change. And if for, for, for convenience or for cowardice or anything else, it starts to change, or I start to admit things, omit things that I should be saying that are true from the Bible, just because they're going to cause trouble, then my time's up. The marks of Jesus. Um, that's why Paul mentions his scars. Um, well, you can read about Paul's sufferings, um, beaten, stoned. Um, yeah, people didn't like his message. And you sort of ask yourself the question, why didn't, why didn't people like the gospel? Why are people so offended by the gospel? Why are they offended by the cross? Chat to the person next to you. Why are people offended by the cross? Okay, thank you. Hit a nail on the head, right? The cross says that we are not good. In fact, we're so bad that it requires a cross. It requires a judgment. It requires a penalty. So, two of the proudest assumptions we make are, I'm good, I'm good. And the second one is, I can do it myself. First one, I'm good. Second one, I can do it myself. What does the cross say? <laughs> You're not good. You're really bad. And you can't save yourself. You can't do it yourself. So the reason why people will always be offended, and we were once offended, weren't we? By the gospel. It got right up our nose. was because we were told, You're not good. You're sinners. You can't do this yourself. You need a saviour. Christians themselves aren't meant to, in their demeanour, or in the way that they go about things, and the way they speak, or what they do, they're not meant to be the offence. But the gospel is an offence. So the proud assumption that we are good enough, and that we can do things ourselves. And so Paul says, if the message is the gospel... If we won't shift from that, that, there will be a cost. People will be offended. They were offended by him. They persecuted him. And if you don't want persecution, you just don't tell them about the cross. But if you don't tell them about the cross, how are they going to be saved? Because that's what they need to hear. And that's what you needed to hear too. So the Christian boast is the cross, uh, verse 14. And we'll just spend the rest of our time here. But far be it from me, Paul says. <laughs> They're boasting in themselves, in the flesh, in their flesh, in your flesh. They're boasting for the approval of others. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why does Paul want his only boast to be in the cross? Because that's where his confidence lies. That's where his hope is tied for the future. It is through the cross that Paul's sins, and they were many, that Paul's sins were paid for every single one, that the righteous requirement of the law, and Paul knew the law, he knew the Old Testament, the requirements of that Old Testament law for those who had broken God's laws, could be served. It was served on Jesus. And that Paul and any other forgiven sinner 
can be eternally safe from God's future judgment. That's why Paul wants his only boast to be the cross. Because that's what, that's happened. He has received the mercy and the kindness of God. If you look down at me um, at verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Whatever Paul used to look to for his approval and his confidence, he doesn't need to look there anymore. And he says something quite striking. I don't know if you saw it in verse 14. He says that through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? He's using that language, crucified. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's used the word world one other time in this, um, in this letter. If you look back at chapter 4, verse 9, it says, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? world's a general term for the systems, the way people think, what they put their confidence in, the things that they would usually look to for their approval. And Paul says, it's got nothing to offer me now. It's as if it was dead to me. Because before, I was hung up on all of that stuff. I needed to have people were affirming me and saying, well done, that's, that you're doing the right thing. But now Christ has shown his love for me, has called me his child, and I'm forgiven. The the world might, might as well, in that respect, be dead to me because I don't need what it's offering anymore. I don't need the things that it's telling me to put my confidence in. I just don't need it. I've got Jesus. And the world has been crucified, and I to the world, is the second bit, isn't it? Paul's saying here again about how um, the world will reject him. Um, Let me show you this quote. It says, All the glory and confidence of this world, with all its social approval and earthly respect, is denied the Christian. But because it is denied them, it no longer holds any power over them. I'll read that again. All the glory and confidence of this world, with all its social approval and earthly respect, is denied the Christian, but because it is denied them, it no longer holds any power. Through the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Maybe even there's some people in your own family who think, gosh, they're pretty much sold out on life. They're a non-starter now that they've gone to this church and got themselves saved and they've started following Jesus. They don't want the things that I want anymore. They're not going to make loads of money. They're not going to be impressive. I'm not going to be able to say, oh, look, this is my son, my daughter anymore. In some parts of the world, they'll hold a funeral service when someone becomes Christian because they've converted from a Muslim background. The world has been crucified to me, 
and I to the world. (laughs) What I've gained, what I've gained is eternal life, security that's in heaven and that lasts. God's love for me, forgiveness, eternal safety. Paul says, um, far be it from me to suggest, this is what he's praying really, far be it from me, God, please don't let it be that I suggest to anyone that my confidence or my hope is tied up anywhere else. I, I don't want them to think that. So far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that in the next verse, he says that the only thing that counts... In verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything but uns- nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Um, we often think as Christians, don't we, when we see the words new creation, we think, oh, that's heaven. But it's a new creation, and Paul uses this term somewhere else. He uses it in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 5 verse 7, 17. So in a new creation, Paul's talking about people, a person who's received the Spirit. And that makes sense in the context, doesn't it? Because he's talking about people who have circumcision or people who don't have circumcision. People. And he says the only thing that counts is not whether or not you're Jewish, whether you've undergone circumcision or not, but whether the Spirit is in you, whether you have new life, whether you're a new creation. Um, We see that as well by what he says in the next verse. He says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So he's just said, uh, all who walk by this rule, that's Jew and Gentile alike, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's making a distinction there between like national Israel, people who are born an Israelite and people who are born of the Spirit born of God. The Israel of God are those who are of God, from God, by the Spirit, new creation. And he says, that's all that counts. That's all that counts. So so don't go boasting in your circumcision, but also don't boast in your uncircumcision. The Gentiles could have gone off and said, ha ha, I'm one of those guys who didn't get circumcised because I've got so much faith. I don't need to be circumcised. They could have boasted in uncircumcision as well as circumcision. But Paul says, the only thing that counts is a new creation. You're born again. You've received God's spirit. And that is the only thing that counts in eternity. So what what have we seen then? We've seen that the cross offends us. The gospel that Jesus died to save us because we're sinners heading for hell. It offends us. If we've understood it, it should a little bit. It offends us because we proudly assume that we are not good, we, we are good enough and that we can do it ourselves. And yet the cross really is the only way that we can have this new life. We can be born of God, of the Spirit, by faith, rather than just being of the flesh. Remember we saw in Galatians 5, nothing will change about our works, our behaviour on the outside, about our desires on the inside, if our nature hasn't changed. And yet, if you're a Christian here today, you have received the Spirit. He is in you. 
you are a new creation. And that's a promise of what's to come. And that means that the world, which used to offer you so much, uh, is no longer where you find your security, your confidence. That's where we started, isn't it? The things that we would want people to know about us. Things that we would say, oh, we're really proud of. That's just masking the fact that our security, what our hope is tied up in, is, is, is not that. It's not those things anymore. We have peace with God. We have mercy. It says in verse 16, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. You have received the mercy of God. You have peace with God through Jesus' death on the cross. That war between our sinful flesh and God is over. He has put it to death on the cross and given his spirit to us and made us new. And our new life in Christ is complete. It's complete. He's done it all. And what the Christian life is, is actually just learning day by day to know that, to walk in that, to walk in the light of that. It's not adding to it. How could we? But the wonderful truth that Jesus has done it all, the Spirit is in us and changing us. And to walk in the wonderful truth of that, living each day knowing that we've received mercy, knowing that we don't need the approval of others anymore, knowing that our hope is secure, and learning to boast in the cross of Christ. If you're religious here today, someone who would go um, and, and perhaps consider yourself to be someone who is doing a lot of good things in the name of a God. Well, it's deceptive power, isn't it, of pride in our hearts. It means that even though we think we are doing good, what we are really wanting and why we are really doing it is the approval of others. We're wanting others to commend us. And there's a whole lot of good stuff, or seemingly good stuff, done in the name of actually wanting other people to say, wow, you're doing, a, you're doing good. And this is a... a Sort of, it flies in the face of that, doesn't it? It says it's idolatry. It's, and the proof of it will be that when the eyes aren't looking at us, when people don't notice what we are doing, what does that actually show about what we are really like? Behind closed doors, when people's backs are turned, when we, in the way that we speak to our family members. Because the religious person will be very different then than what they are when they're sitting in church. Very different. So the religious person is still of the flesh, unchanged. You might not call yourself religious. And as I said, you might be quite surprised that you're even here listening in. Uh, but maybe you were listening to the Bible being read yesterday on the TV or Jesus being sung about. Or maybe you've received a gospel flyer. Or maybe you know one of those weird people who can't stop talking about the cross. Who can't stop banging out on about this death sentence. And you think, that's weird. What's all that about? It's great that you're here. The life lived for ourselves is ultimately not freedom 
but slavery. And it's slavery to whether or not people will approve of me. It's slavery. And I've been there, I know that well. And God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So actually, we might be looking for love in all the wrong places. And yet God has demonstrated his love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Every time the nail was going in, the hammer was going on the nail. I love you. I love you. I love you. And so don't look in the wrong place. Look to the God who made you, who loves you, who knows everything there is to know about you, even the things that no one will ever know. He is the one who sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. If a cross was needed, it shows just how evil we are. And maybe in the quiet moments you've seen something of the horrors of your own heart. You're not wanting to talk to other people about it, but you just see it in your own heart. You think, oh, that's horrible. Why am I even thinking these things? But if a saviour is needed, it shows just how helpless we are. We cannot do it. We will not do it. Jesus needs to do this for us. And your first response to this might be to be offended. It might be to be angry. It might be to be angry at the people who are telling you these things. But of all the things that you could put your hope in, in this life, confidence in, in this life, success, talent, wealth, they will serve you well in this life, but they ain't going to serve you well in the grave. They're not going to serve you well in the grave. You need a security, you need a hope, you need something tied up in Jesus. You need something for after that and for that time when you have faced death yourself. So I pray that God would humble you. He needs to. If we remain proud, we'll just keep pushing away from him. We might be listening, but we're not really thinking. We don't really want it to apply to us. Uh, So let's pray that God would humble us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this reminder that your cross is what we really need. Though it causes us much offence. Though it humbles us to see we are not good. We cannot do this. We thank you that you were willing to cause that offence to us to reveal our pride, to get up our nose so that we would know our our rescue would receive this new life. We pray that we would be those who would be walking day by day with the knowledge of that confidence and that the things that we boast about, the things that we talk about would reflect that. Pray that we wouldn't seek the approval of others in the same way anymore. We pray that they would know that we have a secure hope, a hope that can only be found in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.